Paul gives us a list of uh, traits to look for in the last days of what people are going to be like. And we've, been, we've talked a little bit about the current events. We'll, we'll go into that next week a little bit as well to bring an update. We talked about how things are coming together. We've, we've talked about signs of the times in the demonstrative, in the physical form of earthquakes, tornadoes, of natural disasters, of famine. We talked about those kind of things, and we know that that's happening. Uh, diseases, we faced that this year with a pandemic, that uh, diseases were going to increase, and there, there are over 100 viruses and diseases we have no cure for today. Uh, good thing you don't know about them all, isn't it? Uh, so those are some of the things, the earthquakes, uh, wars, rumors of wars, all those different signs that Jesus gives as a list of things. But what uh, we were thinking about is how could we apply this to us in our daily living? What, you know, those things are happening out there, but you can kind of just dismiss them in a sense. Uh, but what is it that we should be doing? Why did Jesus give us these signs? Why does Paul tell us about these things if it isn't for the purpose of having a roadmap on what to do and how to live in these times? So we're just going to go through some of these uh, things that Paul considers are important for us to understand in where our society has gone. If you were to take this map overlay and put it on our society today, you'll see how well it fits. Opening comments, Dr. David. Several weeks ago, we spent time looking at the whole Ezekiel War scenario, and we spent much time updating you on what was going on in Ukraine, how it related to the upcoming invasion uh, of Israel, attempted invasion via the West Bank, the high mountains of Israel. What we want to do today is we're going to shift ground. It's one thing to be considering what's going on uh, in specific battle sequences. You could discuss the Ezekiel War, you can, ex you can discuss Armageddon, you can take a look at all of the very specific, specific information we're given. But we want to shift ground today because some of that can seem rather far away. Um, and it does require a great deal of study in order to come to grips with all the players and who, which alliances are forming and who's coming against whom, um, which is very worth doing but it can leave us sort of high and dry when it comes to day-to-day -day relevance sitting right here. Here we are in the Portland, Vancouver area. And there are some extremely important things that Pastor Dave and I thought we should cover in a couple of key passages. And it'll probably, in order to take, make all the connections that we would like to make between day-to-day face-to-face and reconnecting that with some of the larger pictures, some of the national pictures. Uh, probably take us two sessions to do that, so that's our plan. 
Now, before we get started, one of the things we did talk about, too, was the fact that in going over this material, we want you to start out with an assumption that the reason that the Lord gave us this information was not merely that we be informed and recognize things, but that we remember to fellowship one with another that we not neglect the fellowshipping with one another as the manner of some is. One can reach a point at which you become alienated from the life of Christ and the life of the church. Uh, indeed, many we watch and we see their hearts grow cold, the growing indifference the the fact that some of them are not attending to the teaching they are not committing to the gathering of themselves together and it's extremely important you understand why we're called to that before we go into these characteristics because the church has to face this generation of the last days and has to do so as a unified body. A scattered group of people is simply going to be bowled over. And if you think that the Lord is pleased when you drop in and out once every few months, you come by and do a cameo appearance, in the face of the spiritual evil in the face of the day-to-day -day realities we face, let me disabuse you of that. It is essential that the, the church assemble itself together. We're described of as a body mm -hmm. that various of us have various callings and various gifts that go with them. Mm -hmm. And that the Lord knits those together so that each, each congregation, if you will, has a full complement of what's necessary for the proper functioning of that body. Mm -hmm. But that as soon as members of the body decide to go wandering off, um, well, you hear about the whole armor of God all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody heard of the whole armor of God? Yes. Ephesians? As a historian, I'll remind you that Roman soldiers who were heavily trained, heavily trained, uh, some of the most trained and capable soldiers in all of human history. Um, of course they were well equipped. Of course they were trained. But they always fought in formations. They always fought in units. They fought together. What do we call a fully equipped Roman soldier wandering around on his own? A dead man. <laughs> dead man walking. <laughs> it's funny right up to the point that you realize that there are significant chunks of Christians in our generation who seem to think it's okay to wander around fully equipped all by themselves and drop in from time to time. It is not only is it insufficient to please the Lord, 
it's spiritually very dangerous. Because if you think that Satan, the fallen angels and the demonic ones aren't noticing that you have a tendency to go tooting around on your own, that you are alienated from the life of the church, that you treat a commitment to a body as something that is to be lightly esteemed, then so will you be lightly esteemed before God. Remember, we are all going to appear at the Bema seat of Christ and he is going to say to every one of us, let me see what you did. What did you do with what I gave you? That is the question. Guaranteed, the question of the Lord to his stewards in the parable of the talents. What did you do with what I gave you? We all know what happens to the guy who digs it up out of the backyard, wipes the dirt off and says, hey, I was afraid of you, so I buried it. Okay, enough said on that point. One illustration of that is an old wise pastor <clears throat> went out to visit one of the members who hadn't been going to church for quite some time. And, he, and he, it was a cold day and he had a fire going. And <laughs> so the pastor walked over and took the tongs and took a hot coal right from the bottom where all those red hot coals were and set it on the hearth. Then he put the tongs down and sat back down. And the, and the guy was... I was wondering, why in the world did you do that? You know, I finally got the best of him. He said, uh, he said, why did you take that hot coal out and put it on the hearth? He says, what do, what do you see about it now? He says, well, it's, it's no longer glowing. It's no longer hot. He says, watch this. He picked up the coal, stuck it right back into the other coals. And what do you think happened? And he says, that's what happens when you're out of the body of Christ. You're no longer receiving encouragement. You're no longer receiving nurture. You're no longer receiving care. You're no longer receiving fellowship in Christ Jesus with the saints. With the saints. And so you're going to grow cold. That's, that's just what happens when you get out of the heat. When you get away from the body of Christ and its nourishment and its power and the things that it has. Because together we're always stronger than we are by ourselves. So that's, that's this key, and, and fellowship of the saints is implicit in scriptures, it's commanded, and uh, we should not take it lightly. We, we, in fact, <laughs> people could think that once a week is bad. <laughs> in the early church, <clears throat> they, they met in the temple in the morning, then house to house, daily. Every day they were meeting with others and fellowshipping. Mm -hmm. And we have a hard time carving out two hours on a Sunday morning. In fact, most of us try to shortcut that, make it an hour and a half by coming a little bit late, you know. Uh, <laughs> it's who very, said that? Yeah. It's very much as if the Lord appeared at your front door and you gave him a bologna sandwich. That's all I got for you, Lord. All I got, second best, third best, whatever I can get around to. I'm too busy, I'm too tired, I'm too whatever. And in the face of what the generation, that is the last generation before the coming of the Lord, is facing is the most monumental series of challenges that are out there. And we're running around with cap guns. We think it's sufficient. And I say to you in love, enjoy. I got a great sense of humor, by the way. 
no problem with my sense of humor. I also have no problem with prophetic fire. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you that to come to the Lord regularly or irregularly with your second, third, and fourth best not only robs you, not only puts you at danger, it robs the people you could have been a blessing to. It robs the entire body of Christ. It's like being born without a hand. It's like being an accident and being, becoming a paraplegic. It cripples the body. You subtract from the body when you do that. And you are never either too young or too old to do that kind of damage to the Lord's church. Go back and read Revelation chapters 2 and 3 if you want to read the Lord's letters to the seven churches. If you're reading in one of the darker passages and suddenly you recognize yourself, this is not a good thing. Yeah. Yep. So what we want to do anyway, that's, that's a background of, yeah, I guess that's admonition. But it's also to remind you that if the church is allowing itself to become weaker at the same time that the evil ones and the challenges at the end of the age are becoming stronger, the results are not going to be good. And we have some specific warnings that we're going to be taking a look at. And they're in the, they're in the form of actual prophetic insight. Because the Lord gave Paul very specific information about people in the last days. Pastor David has talked about Romans 1, 18 to 32. That certainly gives us a snapshot of men generally, certainly men as they were in the days of, of the Romans, the ancient Romans, and the women too, for those of us who need such things. Um, but we're going to be looking at a completely different set of scriptures that were pointed at the far end of this age. So, I'll read you the opening passage and we're going to start, I'm going to stop with each one of these characteristic words and we're going to be, we're going to be talking about the meaning of each one of these words. But this is out of 2 Timothy 3. Oh. Yeah. That's where these lists come from. Oh, the list comes from 2 Timothy 3? Yes. Did you want to start there? Yes, please. Okay. <laughs> Surprise! The nice thing about this is that iPads make it easier to flip a page. Yeah. Okay. I so I will start in uh, chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. <clears throat> this was Paul's final letter. Yes. Before his execution. Uh, writing it to his beloved son in Christ, Timothy. Yes. Okay, verse 1 of chapter 3 says, it, okay, so I'll give it to you again. Just a second. Timothy 3, 1. <laughs> you must realize, however, that in the last days, difficult times will come. And if there was ever Paul's making an understatement, that's it. 
difficult times. In other words, as we look at the world around us, and sometimes our mind is blown and we're feeling ground down underneath the weight, uh, like the righteous in Jerusalem before, before the coming of Nebuchadnezzar, were shaking their heads and sighing over the sins of Judah. Well, we're being assured that one of the great privileges of being in the last days is things are going to get really bad. And then they're going to get worse. And then they're going to get worse than that. We can be thankful that the Lord has promised that he will take his church at the appropriate moment. But that doesn't mean that we don't see the acid bath coming and that we aren't, we haven't been warned that things are going to be difficult. So guess what? When you watch the news at night, there's a reason why you feel the way you feel. Yeah. Okay, so we have a list. He, he talks about these things. We're going we're gonna to start, start into verse 2, and we'll stop with each one of these words. People will be... I have a list. Lovers of themselves. Okay. First thing. Pastor Dave. <clears throat> Lovers of ourselves means that preferences, personal preferences will lead in our decision making. Not unlike when you go to a restaurant and you say, you, <laughs> you go out to eat and you say to your wife, where would you like to go? <clears throat> and she says, Oh, I don't care. So you name a restaurant. Oh, I don't want to go there. <laughs> it doesn't matter where we go, but not there, not there, not there. Where would you like to go for crying out loud? Because we start doing this by personal preference. Uh, watch a congregation come in. They have a place that they want to sit. And if somebody's sitting there, it's a disappointment, you know. Uh, we all have our ease of places we want to do what we want to do. And we, we, start, we start doing this. And with society just doing that, uh, feeding us on that very same thing, uh, we, we get into that way. Uh, you think about uh, uh, coming to worship the Lord. I was talking to somebody just this morning about how church has changed in the last 30 years. And uh, my personal preferences isn't that I like everything that we've, we've done differently, uh, you know, uh, but come to worship the Lord, you know. So my personal preferences have to take a second back seat to what God is doing. And uh, so instead of just choosing what makes us feel good, which what we like best, we have to start thinking about do unto others. Jesus. Yeah. Putting others first. Uh, Jesus, others, then you. That spells joy. Jesus, others, you. Uh, that's the, we, we should come at the bottom of the list, not at the top of the list. But by nature, by nature, we automatically go to what we like, what our preferences are, opposed to others. And we make decisions that way. This generation, of all generations, does that 
so, so much, it's unbelievable. So lovers of ourselves is lovers of our pre personal preferences, lovers of what we want, how we see it. You know, if you're going to do something, you ought to do it my way. And, uh, and I'm uncomfortable with the fact that you have a beard, or I'm uncomfortable, especially you ladies. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why those things pop up. Uh, because you think them. I, I don't know enough not to say them. That's the problem. Uh, so th that is being lovers of our own desires, our own personal things that we want. And this generation has done that. Uh, you look at, uh, uh, walk into a place and see how you can see different generations. The younger generations, they have this thing that they can't get away from. Oh, that just went to the picture taking. How do you, now how do I turn it off? Uh, quit calling me. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, and, 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 and the idea of conversation, you know. Uh, how about this one, letter writing? You know, there's a lot, a lot of people today who can't even read cursive, you know. I'm cursing away and they can't read it. I mean, I mean, I'm writing cursive and they can't read it. You know, uh, it's, it's amazing. So just think of how personal preference has taken control of our society. We want, we want to make everything our way or the highway. And you can see that, just bring up politics, bring up religion, bring up this, bring up that, you'll immediately, you'll see. Uh, how about even in, even in cars, you say, a Chevy, no, Ford, no. You know, everybody has their own personal preference and it rises to the top very, very quickly. I use freeways, never. Uh, you know what those are, freeways? You don't have to pay for them, you just use them. Anyway, uh, anyhow, that's, that's lovers of, of themselves. You, well, it goes, it goes deeper and darker, though. Way deeper and darker. Um, you have to remember in our discussion of Ezekiel 38 and 39 and our speculations on Putin. What does that man see in the mirror? We can talk about the fact that yes, we, we have our own preferences. But you need to understand that that things go dark very fast in that direction. Culminating with the fifth I will, I will be like the Most High, said by Lucifer just before his fall. Um, to be a lover of yourself is to worship yourself. And understand that that kind of self-idolatry destroys you. It destroyed Satan. It destroyed the one-third of the angels who went with him. It will destroy you if you let it, if you walk down that path. You must do what James said in the book of James. You must look into the perfect mirror of Torah and remember what you saw. The whole reason the Torah was given, Torah, by the way, not meaning law, 
The word Torah is terribly translated as law. It actually means teachings. Teachings. The Lord wasn't hammering us like some judge. He was our teacher. He gave us the teachings. These things were not given so that we could put a checklist together like the Pharisees and start pointing at people and accusing people. Torah was given so that we might see ourselves. Not that you see them as the Pharisees did. Yeah. But that you see yourself. The Pharisees said, praying, Oh Lord, I'm so glad you didn't make me like that schmuck over there. As he was pounding his breast, saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Christ said, which of the two do you think had his prayers answered? The one man had looked, the Pharisee had looked into the middle of Torah and immediately started to condemn others. I'm glad you didn't make me like, you know, that sleaze over there. But the sleaze had looked into the mirror of Torah and it broke his heart because he realized his case was hopeless and helpless. And that apart from the salvation, the Redeemer, he was, he was lost. He saw it as a teacher like Paul does. The, the no. law is a teacher to me. It teaches me what is wrong and teaching, helps me. Yeah. Teaching. Oh, Psalm 119 from one end to the other. Yeah. Okay. Teaching, teaching, teaching. And that was what was supposed to be seen. But the first, the Pharisee, was a lover of himself. And the far end of that road is hell. This is hell and death. Damnation in, this, in the lake of fire. The eternal separation is at the far end of that road. With Satan, his angels, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and all of those who are judged at the great white throne, they're all there and hell and death itself are cast in there. You don't want to be there. It's eternal Hopeless, helplessness. It's the eternal death. You're alive, but you're dead. And you are separated from everything that's worthwhile. Mm -hmm. Which is what you wanted. Because you worked it yourself. And in the lake of fire, you will be alone. And the only thing to worship will be yourself. That's number one. <laughs> Point one. So, next up, lovers of money. Ooh. Uh, yeah, lovers of money. Well, uh, I, I just thought maybe if I win the lottery, God would be blessed because I'd give more <laughs> money to the church. Uh, what's the motivation for getting lots and lots of money? Uh, usually it's because we have a love of what it's going to do for us, what we can buy with it, and so forth and so on. Uh, when, our, when we don't see what God gives us as a 
benefit to others. We see uh, anything coming just for benefit in our own selves. And it's hard in, a, in America where, you know, where you're raised and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and the self-made person that rises to the top and has uh. billions of dollars and so forth and so on. Uh, and you see you know, how they live and so forth. Uh, it's, it's hard not to get caught up in the love of money. It's very hard. But if, if you are one who uh, cries when the stock market goes down a few points, you're a lover of money. Because you think, okay, I just lost $500, man, or $5,000, or $50,000. It, uh, you know, this, if your attention's on that, mammon was what the, the scripture calls it, you get, you got a problem, you know? Uh, now, is wealth wrong? Is it sinful? Absolutely not. Look through the Bible. Job was an extremely wealthy person. And after he went through his trials, was even more wealthy than he was at the beginning. Uh, so wealth isn't the problem. Wealth isn't, money is not evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. When you begin to worship money, when you begin to seek after it with more passion than anything else. Uh, you know, Las Vegas is there because of people who want to get rich. You know, it, it's, a, it's an obvious thing of, of loving of money. Uh, and now, there are those who don't, don't have that same, not everybody who goes to Vegas is a money grubber. But I'm just telling you that that's one of the reasons it exists. But the love of money, when that becomes your God, when that becomes your goal, when that becomes more important to you than anything else, you got a problem because now you're worshiping it. You're worshiping your stocks, you know? And uh, that, that becomes a, a problem when you are satisfied with whatever the Lord has given you. Uh, then you know, like Paul said, Apostle Paul said, I have much and I've had little. Mm -hmm. And I'd much rather have much. No, he didn't say that. He said, whatever position I'm in, I've learned to be content because contentment with godliness is great gain. That's, that's the key. Be content with what you have. That's not, don't, doesn't say not be a good steward. Be a good steward. And if God blesses you, then that's a wonderful thing. He's blessed you because he can trust you with that blessing. And uh, so that's my, because we get running out of time. Sure. Uh, I'm watching it carefully. Thank you. Uh, boasters. These people are the ones who represent pride expressed. It's not a secret pride when someone's boasting. Scriptures say, let, let your praise come from another's mouth and not your own. <laughs> That's the difference. A boaster will be one that'll tell you all about himself. That's enough about me. What do you think about me? <laughs> and so, so it really comes down to understanding that it's tied into the next attribute, which is proud or arrogant. Okay? Those who are proud are arrogant people 
like Satan, have risen up in a sense of their own importance. This goes back to lovers themselves. If you love yourself, then you are going to put yourself ahead and above all things. You'll become proud. You'll become arrogant. Because anyone that doesn't recognize your superior worth becomes your enemy. Uh, and pride is the original sin. That was the sin that Lucifer was yep. guilty of. Yep. That proud is, you know, and boasting are actually kind of simultaneously. Because yeah. if you're very, very proud, you tend to boast about it. You know, uh, here's what I've accomplished. Or did you see that car that I just got? Or whatever you become proud about, you tend to, to talk about. And uh, so the proud, the egotist in you that wants to you let everybody else know how good you are. And, you know, <laughs> it's, it's everywhere. You know, I go to a pastor's conference and... Uh, You'd be surprised how that works out. So how many people do you have in your church? You know? Yeah. Well, we just built a brand new building. <laughs> and I mean, it, it has everything. It has lights, camera, action. It is, I mean, we, you know, we, boy, you won't believe what we got. Uh, well, I would have never known if you hadn't told me. I probably would have known if you hadn't told me, as a matter of fact. But he, but he felt necessary for him to share that. And I'm just, I'm just telling you how, how this goes into our society. I'm not just saying that sometimes we like to just have the other ones out there who are blamed at this. How about ourselves? Do we find ourselves proud and boastful sometimes? And does God stop us short in it? Right. That, that's the key. Well, and that in turn gets us into the what the King James called blasphemers. In the International Standard Version, it talks about them, the fact that they're boastful, arrogant, and abusive. Those are characteristics that go with us. A blasphemer is, in a technical sense, one who tells lies about God, mm -hmm. false doctrines about God, attempts to change the scriptural revelation about the very nature of God and the created order. Uses his name in vain. Right. Which, by the way, has very little to do with nasty words. If you think that using the Lord's name in vain means somebody said something vulgar, uh, you, you haven't gotten to the heart of it yet. The Pharisees use the Lord's name in vain without knowing it. An awful lot of modern Christians use the Lord's name in vain without knowing it. Every time you name yourself as a follower of Christ and then do things, say things, believe things that are far contrary to the gospel, you're using the Lord's name in vain. May God bless you. Really? Really? You mean that? Are you using it indiscriminately? Do you wish God's blessing on everybody? Aren't you thinking about the name of the Lord? There's, there's, his name is above all names. Okay? You have to understand that our Lord 
Adonai, which was the reverent term that was put in the place of Yodhe Yahweh, I am. Considered the most holy name of God because in it he announces he is the everlasting, the one who was, is, and is to come. Mm -hmm. A name so exalted that it we can't, we're not told it, we can't comprehend it. So that's, that's when you talk about blaspheming, it's all of those things together, you see. It's not recognizing the Holy Spirit of God when it is being used correctly, and it is misusing the name of God. If you're hypocritical about the name of God, if you do one thing, say one thing and do another, yeah, or you're using his you, name in uh, vain. Attribute to God things that are not from Him. When you right. tell somebody, "Well, God's going to zap you because of such and such and such," and you're making a judgment, you're placing yourself in the position of God. And when you attribute to God something that's untrue, that's a blasphemy. You know, and what? And this is what he means when he says, "I am the Lord your God." You will not use my name in vain. Do yep. not use it vainly. It is the only name of power. Don't trivialize it. Don't misapply it. Don't be hypocritical with it. Those are the main things. The occasional vulgar word or expletive deleted doesn't concern me nearly as much. A guy hits himself in the thumb with a hammer. I can understand why words might fly. <laughs> but when one cold-heartedly and deliberately invokes the name of the Lord for whatever sewage yeah. that they're doing, then that is... That is where the Lord is watching you very carefully. You know, an example of the blasphemy would be, God says you're not to wear makeup. Nowhere does God tell you you can't wear makeup. That's not, that's not in the scripture. When you say God says you can't, then you stepped over the line. What God says is right here. Mm -hmm. And he gives us principles, he gives us the concepts, he gives us ideas. But he doesn't say things that just aren't true like that. That's specific and judgmental. So oh. that's, a, that's actually a form of blasphemy. And look how many people attribute to God. Well, if God loved the world, he wouldn't. And so if, if God did that, God did that, God did that. No, you know, uh, don't be doing that. That's, that's blasphemy. Yeah, use the Lord's name with reverence and apply it carefully. Okay. Don't attach it to any of your personal hypocrisies. Don't try to baptize your political views. Understand that the Lord's name is holy above and beyond all things. And to deliberately try to use it as a weapon, especially when people beat each other around the head and the soul with the name of the Lord. Yeah. Um, you will answer for those idle words. Yes. It is vain. That is a vanity. It's actually a form of idolatry. 
to use the Lord's name in vain is idolatrous. And the Lord describes idolatry as an abomination. It literally makes him sick. Continuing then, oh, here's one that will be popular. Disobedient parents. Yaza. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> Aren't you a kid? <laughs> I, bet you're, I bet you you're somebody's kid because you didn't come from a test tube. Where, uh, you know, when, when, we, when we hear that, disobedient to parents, it doesn't end with teenage. Mm. And don't forget what you were just told about. Because the children of God are all ages, including all the way up to 100. Uh, yeah. But don't forget what I just told you. Okay? You need to make sure that you don't blaspheme when you do this. That you don't use the Lord's name in vain when you do this. When we have parents, and parents are warned about this, not to, not to cause their children to despair. Right. Not to be harsh with them. Which causes them despair and dismay. And then anger and bitterness. The next thing you see, you see all of the hellish things that will grow up out of that. Yeah, Paul makes it very clear. Obey your children in the Lord. Okay. In, the, in the Lord is a big difference. I, I'm not saying blank, blank obedience. So if uh, that leads to abuse. Yeah, this is, abuse is not God. This is not a blank check. No, no it's not a blank okay. check. But if we look at it from the other side, disobedient to parents. In the last days, part of the perilous time that comes is tied directly to disobedient to parents. Okay. Um, because it is a fundamental aspect of the created order, the relationship of families, great-grandparents, grandparents, parents, children, and so forth, that there be a loving, teaching, nurturing relationship, generation by generation. Satan desperately seeks to introduce anger, bitterness, and hellfire into that. And I, I think especially today we need to make that clarification because children are being hurt a lot. In fact, they said during this time of COVID that child abuse increased greatly. In fact, in the paper today they say, if you know, if you see child abuse taking place, report it. Because it's because it's it's very very much out there, and that is not being disobedient to a parent and not want to be beat. That's not just being disobedient. What what it talks about when any of these things talk about, you have to have pre have the preconceived idea. We're talking about it in the Word in the Bible. So being disobedient is being disobedient to one who has the authority to do what is right, and that's not having the authority to do what is wrong but having the authority to do what is right. And therefore, uh, that is the, if you, you're not supposed to be disobedient to that. If your parent says, we need to go for the fellowship of the saints, the church, and they go, nye, 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 then that's being disobedient to what is right for them, and they're being disobedient to it. Uh, well, that's, that's the godly authority that's given to the parents. But it is, remember, the authority given to you is always given 
as a responsibility. That's why you're not to, to be harsh with your children. You're not to be angry with your children. You're not to be abusing your children. And there's way more abuse of children going on than we have any idea of, and that extends all the way out to and including incest. Yeah. That kind of thing is happening all the time. And it creates such a poisonous dragon root that literally can consume an entire generation, fill it with anger and hatred and bitterness forever. Um, we're talking about here, the, when we talk disobedient parents, we're assuming that the parents are doing the right things, okay? If, if you aren't doing the right things as a parent, then you need to reflect and repent yourself. Right. Okay? Right. Your child wasn't given to you by the Lord in order for you to beat them, to teach them some sense. I never would have considered growing up, I never would have considered raising my hand to my, my parents at any point. It just, it was, it was almost comical. My dad once said to my mom, we had gotten into a little bit of a, I was 16, a little bit of a discussion. And I was arguing with her and there was my dad suddenly standing in the doorway with his business suit and his briefcase and giving me the laser look of death. <laughs> and he admonished me, you won't argue with your mother that way. Okay, dad, whoops. And he told my mom, Dorothy, go back into the bedroom. Which is what he always used to say to us kids when we were about to experience corporal punishment. She went back there and she later told me, said, Dorothy, you know I will always back you. I will always defend your authority. But please, be right. <laughs> he said, he's bigger than me and could hurt me. And when my mom told me that story, I burst out laughing. Not at anything else except for the fact that it blew my mind. I never even thought about raising my hands to my parents. It never would have happened. I would have accepted anything, anything, but I would never have raised my hand. And this is, unfortunately, we have all too much. You can watch the evening news, violence within families, where disobedience becomes violence and finally becomes murder. And actually the violence flows from the murder. The murderousness comes first. The violence happens thereafter. The next one you see there is unthankful. People without gratitude. People who are not willing to accept the fact that they've been given blessings, they've been given gifts, Instead, we hear about the bootstraps. I, I earned it. I did it by my own hard work. Not realizing that every breath they take is from God. And the ingratitude of people, when you're talking to a person who isn't grateful, that means they're blind, deaf, and dumb to the source of what's being given to them. If you're sitting there and saying, hey, I deserve it, give me what, give me what I deserve. 
I don't thank you for a paycheck. It says nothing to do with paychecks. It has everything to do with blessings. David? I agree with that 100%. It, it just, uh, there's a taking for granted or entitled, what they call entitlement. People feel I'm entitled to this, I'm entitled to that. And uh, even if you were entitled to it, you ought to be grateful for receiving it. But there, but today there, it, there just seems to be, a, it's, it's not necessarily rebellious. Uh, they're not doing it in rebellion. I think they're just doing it out of ignorance. They don't even realize uh, that the blessing they received and being thankful for it. They haven't been taught thanks, thankfulness in their homes and so forth. So, uh, but unthankfulness is, is a sad deal uh, because they're actually the one who gives thanks is receives a benefit from doing that. You know, you rec by recognizing that God's been good to you and you're thankful for it, that actually helps you as well. But being unthankful, you know, caring less, so what? I don't care. You, you've provided, you did this, you did that, so what? That's a sad deal. And there's well, a lot of unthankfulness. It's to walk without grace. Yeah, but that's great. To be, to be oblivious yep. to what you've been given. And that always then, in turn, excuse me, my phone is talking to me. Stop that. To be oblivious to that is to turn your back on all the blessings you've been given. Blessings are given to teach us. Again, part of Torah. Every time you have a psalmist speaking of the blessings of the Lord, being thankful for the blessings of the Lord, recognizing and appreciating. You see, as an artist, I can tell you you can't respond to what you don't allow yourself to see. If you are blind, if you're deaf, if you're dumb, if your senses are deadened, seared, if you're just blundering on through like a drunken elephant through life and trampling everything in front of you and assuming that you deserve this and you deserve that, be thankful that you are not given what you deserve. Okay, I mean, mercy is not receiving what you deserve. Grace is receiving what you don't deserve. So we are creatures, then, of mercy and grace. I think we have time for one more. I think so. You feeling up to it? Yeah. <laughs> we have time for one more, and it's this. I is, could go on forever. That's right. And if you start singing. <laughs> I can sing of your yeah. mercy forever. No, it's when, when, I, when, you, you when, it, when, he, when he danced. Sing of your with, mercies forever. Sing of your mercies forever. No, forever, no. forever, forever. No, I, I was thinking when he danced with me, but we won't. Oh. <laughs> I could have danced he all could have night. Danced all he could have danced all night. This last one, though, unholy, by which we really mean evil. It, that really, that really hauls you up. Because we're talking the Lord speaking right down to the very core of things. For the Lord to say that men in the last days will be unholy. 
Remember, Jesus said, uh, as is in the days of Noah, so shall it be. The days when, when the Son of Man, man returns. Comes. And what's it say in Genesis about that period of time? There's one passage that's really interesting. It says, the Lord observes about man in the days of Noah that every thought of their hearts was only of evil continually. Every, only, continually. And Christ himself said, he said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days when I return. Okay? He draws a direct line from the world just before the flood to the world just before the tribulation. And both of them are just before judgment. It's, uh, this, no. it, it's, it's critical to understand this. This is what God was saying is, these people are not of the light. Right. These people are not creatures of grace and mercy. These people are monsters. And if you don't, if you don't think so, turn on your television set. You need to understand, folks, these days, it is different for those of us who are older. It is different to turn on the news, even the local news, these days than it was 40 years ago. Oh, and yeah. Now, there's a shooting or a murder every night. Drive-bys, stabbings, people who are addicted, beating infants to death, shaking them to death, people shooting each other in schools, people running each other in the streets, hit and runs, on and on and on and on and on the list goes. Drug overdoses, fentanyl everywhere. Fentanyl is a killer. The amount of fentanyl that would fit on the tip of my finger is fatal. Fatal. 100%. You're done. And unfortunately, we have foolish people and people who are addicted who try stuff, not even knowing what they're putting in their mouth. That's just plain foolishness. But the, the fact is that when we talk about unholy, all these things flow from it. Ultimately, what did Christ say about Satan? He's a liar, and he was a murderer from the beginning. And murder and lies go together, hand in glove. This is what a lack of holiness is. In the Greek, the holy ones, they're called out. If you're in Christ, you are one of the holy ones. You may be doing a better or worse job of showing it, working it out and the like. See in two months. But the fact is that if you're of the Lord's, if you're of his ecclesia, the called out ones, then you're holy. Okay? The unholy ones, they've got their father too. And you are seeing their fruit every night. Every night, their fruit is murder, 
darkness. Ukraine is an example of one who is obviously showing evil. Uh, you know, bombing uh, indiscriminately, right. killing women and children, and and just killing, just to be killing, just to terrorize. Uh, that evil is... And that goes to his pride. Yes. Putin's pride is consuming him. The hooks are being set. He's going to be dragged. If he is who we think he is, his destiny is awful. Awful. So we... We need to understand that this is what the scriptures say our world's going to look like. Know this, the Spirit speaks expressly. The Spirit was very definite. The Spirit told me each one of these words and said at the end of the age, this is what people are going to be like. Much more so than in the days of Paul and Timothy. Yeah, or any other time. The rotten smell around you, the stench of death is this. And unholy, well, it starts out bad and it goes down to hellish. So. That also uh, will bring us to the following ones, but the other ones that come after this, Paul lists these first ones, ending with evil, and then he describes what evil is, how that is manifested in the rest of them and the rest of these, these uh, examples. So uh, we'll, if the Lord's willing, and, and uh, we will do that next week. So hold your breath. No, don't hold for the whole week. <laughs> but pray, pray that God will give us discernment and understanding and how to recognize this in our own society. And remember, if you're sitting there and you are not in Christ. Yes. You are one of the unholy ones. Yes. He holds the door open to you and says, come to me. But the days of the invitation are drawing to a close. Mm -hmm. If you are not in Christ, I implore you, I beg you, as the ambassador of Christ, to give thought to the fact that outside of Christ there is no hope no salvation and you do not you would not believe what your destiny would be yes today is a day for salvation if you have, if you are not a believer and you don't belong to Jesus Christ do not leave this building until you take care of that and there will be people in the prayer room which is right past the restrooms uh, back there to receive you and to pray with you